Okay, I'm going to go ahead and kick into this. I have a couple of funny things I made me chuckle this week I wanted to share with you. So here they are. I'm on two diets now. I wasn't getting nearly enough food on just one. <laughs> Don't get in the car with me if you're going to scream every time I almost wreck. Every time you talk to your wife, you should always remind yourself, guys only, this conversation will be recorded for quality or training purposes. <laughs> I think only guys understand that one, probably. So. <laughs> I am the light of the world. We continue our series today, the I Am Declarations of Jesus in John's Gospel. John's gospel is a little bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. And synoptic is a Greek word, which means seeing the same. They see the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, from their own angle. There's even a literary connection uh, between them. And syn, you know, S-Y-N means, uh, you know, the same, like synonym. An optic sight, they see this thing. John's gospel is considered what they call a spiritual gospel. It doesn't start with the beginning and then an increasing revelation of Jesus as the Messiah, as God. It starts out right from the get-go as Jesus is God, and here are the implications. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Okay? John's gospel does not have any parables. It has seven signs. John acknowledges that if all the signs were written, the whole world couldn't contain the books. But he's going to focus on seven, seven being the number of perfection or completion in the Bible. And John also focuses on seven I am statements of Jesus. It's built around seven signs that Jesus gives, signs and wonders, and seven I am declarations. And just in terms of re uh, reminding us, in Greek, in the first century, if you wanted to say, I am teacher, or I am hungry, or I am anything, you would use the word, me. But this rare use of the, of the phrase, ego me" was not used in the regular cultural interaction. But where it was used, and that's what Jesus uses when he says seven times. In fact, he says it eight times. He says, before Abraham was, ego me, I am. It means I myself am. And in the, you're learning something here, so don't space out on me here. <laughs> so in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, I'm reminding you that when Moses at the burning bush asked God, who shall I say sent me to rescue the children of Israel out of Egypt? God says, tell them, ego emi sent you. Same word Jesus uses later with reference to himself. So what is Jesus Christ saying? I am the transcendent God. You guys are limited by sequential time. I'm into I deal with sequ sequential time, but I deal with transcendent time. I am that I am. I myself am. I'm the God who talked to Moses 
And I'm the God that expresses myself in my personality as being a good shepherd, as being a bread, the bread of life, as being light, as being the gate to heaven, as being the resurrection and the life, as being the way, the truth, and the life, and as being the vine. Seven expressions of the personality of God in Jesus. Aren't you glad that we don't just have the Old Testament to tell us what God is like? But that Jesus says to Philip, you want to know what the Father's like, Phil? Look at me. I am what the Father's like. I am God. So what we are doing in John's Gospel, I, I love John's Gospel. I loved it all the way back to when I, as about a 12-year-old, I went forward in Portland, Oregon to a Billy Graham crusade and, and, and went forward to receive Christ and didn't really stick very well as a teenager. I got good saved when I was 16. But as a 12-year-old, I talked to a counselor up there in the, at the ball field there. And um, they shared with me, they gave me a Gospel of John. And they said, turn to John 3.16. I turned there and they said, put your own name in there. So I did. I said, for God so loved Dan that he gave his only begotten son, that if Dan believes in him, he will not perish but have everlasting life. And I have so much appreciated over the years John's gospel. I, when I read it, I find all of a sudden I find myself being read by God. I get pulled into it, and I experience it. It's truly a spiritual gospel, isn't it? I think that's your experience of that, too. I want to start today with our topic of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, by reading the context in which he makes this declaration about himself, Jesus does. It's John 8, verses 1 through 12. It's a rather lengthy passage, and we, are, we don't have it on the projector on purpose because I didn't want to torment uh, the people that have to put that up there for the lengthy scripture. But I want you just to receive this into your heart. It takes about a minute and a half to read. Can you handle that? Okay, do I need to look up halfway through to make sure you're paying attention? Listen to the word of God. It's a bread of life to you. Jesus imparts himself as the word even, in the Holy, even as we just read the Holy Scriptures. But here it is, the context for Jesus declaring himself to be the light of the world. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down. Let's see, I have a good precedent for that. He sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. wonder where the guy was. But what do you say? This, they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And in doing that, he spoke very loudly. So, when, when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, 
beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. I like how she submits to Jesus' lordship in that moment. No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again there in the temple, the crowd saying, I am the light of the world. Ego eimi. I myself, the God who spoke to Moses at the burning bush, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I like it that Jesus not only sheds light on our path to give us direction and wisdom in the course of our life journey, but that he also doesn't just leave us there with revelation of what's right, what's true, but he says, whoever follows me has the light but it's the light of life. It's supernatural resurrection Jesus life. I have it in my notes in capital letters because it is of supernatural heavenly quality and it's yours and it's mine as we follow Jesus and his light in our lives, his direction and guidance as he lights a path in front of us to show us. Let's read that last verse again. Jesus, because it's the... It's the anchor verse for this talk this morning. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Talking point one, light is a serious yet wonderful gift to those that are walking in darkness. Jesus is implying, he doesn't say it outright, but he's implying in his statement that a dark life is to be avoided. It is extremely self-destructive. Dangerous. I remember as a five or six-year-old on our farm up on Bear Prairie in, in uh, Washougal, Washington. We lived in a bigger house and my grandpa and grandma Mickelson lived in a smaller house about oh probably 150 yards 200 yards from our house and there were occasions where I was visiting grandpa and grandma and it got dark before it was time to go home so I had to go home in the dark on along the trail to our house on one side was Zacky the bull's pen and it was only sheep wire and Zacky would come up snorting. He was a mean bull. I can still feel his anger. <laughs> and on the other side was our cornfield. That all these crazy noises would come out after dark that weren't out there during the day. And I just remember how, how frightening it was in the pitch black to find my way through that on that trail over to our house. Things were so different if my dad or my older brother, Dale, was walking with me with a flashlight. And I want to tell you, in the course of our life, we have an older brother who walks with us with his light. It makes a huge difference to a five-year-old boy 
And it makes a huge difference if dad's there as well, walking together. The noises didn't matter. Zaki the bull was diffused in terms of his threat. There wasn't anything going to jump out out of, out of the cornfield after all. I was safe because I had the light of life and my dad and my big brother with me. One of the greatest blessings of following Jesus with light and life, one of the greatest blessings that we have in life is when chaos gets avoided. And there's chaos in darkness. Where would your life be if you weren't following Jesus' life in the light? I suspect some of us might be in real trouble, may not even be alive if Jesus wasn't in our lives. I have one more example. I haven't shared it for some years, but I have shared it before. So those of you that know, just uh, hang in there. I was uh, traveling in Mexico in 1974 with a fellow, uh, with a missionary from Foursquare, um, John Cook's his name. And the f- I was so tired. We'd, we'd flown, first time I'd ever flown on an airline from Portland to Los Angeles. And I can still remember seeing smog coming down into Los Angeles for the first time. I, smog became a new thing to me that, that moment. And then from Los Angeles to Mexico City, and then that night we stayed in a little town called Cuernavaca, right outside of Mexico City. And I had a room, it was rather a large um, bedroom we stayed. I had my own um, bedroom to stay in. And I had heard them laughing about cockroaches, but I didn't, I'd never seen one before. And the light went out, and I was so tired. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. I was so tired. I was just drifting off to sleep. I was so tired. And all of a sudden, I felt something wet on my face. Yeah. There was no light there. And I went, I just spontaneously brushed it off my face and bolted for, through the darkness, <laughs> leaping for the light switch. I slept with the light on the rest of the night. And when I turned the light on, they just scattered. There was, there was a dozen of them or so that just scattered. It was a nice home, too. I mean, it's like, what? What did they do that to me on purpose? What was that? After all, why would they treat a 19-year-old kid that way? That's just mean. Anyway, I think of that sometimes when I think of the fact that Jesus not only, not only shows us in our life the cockroaches, but his, his light actually scares His presence scares the darkness, the the bad things in the darkness away, doesn't he? I think that was true of the Pharisees and the the scribes and the Pharisees. They were, I think it was John Stott that said the Pharisees and Sadducees have a real hard standard, real high standard of behavior for everyone but themselves. And that's what they were like with this lady because Jesus exposes, puts light on their situation. He's basically saying, you guys, you think you're pretty righteous? Well, you know, you're being condemning to this gal. How about you? What's going on in your life? Anyone wants to throw the first stone, doesn't have sin, go ahead. And they all walked away, oldest to the youngest. They walked away. They Jesus' light, and that wasn't something that was Jesus being mean to them. 
Jesus has given them a gift. Aren't you glad you've been delivered from thinking that you can be accepted by God through your own performance? Aren't you glad you don't have to offer your, your track record to God as a way, as a basis, as a platform, as a reason for him to accept you, fully accept you? Aren't you glad that he looks at your faith and sees that as the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself? Then there's the lady. Jesus showed her that there's a acceptance and there's a place right now that you are now in a no condemnation zone because of your faith in me. You just called me Lord and I declare over you that because of that commitment, that very simple, it's like praying the sinner's prayer essentially. Lord, no one condemns me, neither do I. Go and sin no more, Jesus said. No more self-destruction for you because of my power, my presence in your life. Light. One of my favorite Christmas verses, Matthew 4, 16, quoting the prophet Isaiah, because it really speaks to all of us. They that were walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those that were living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then the the proverb that says, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter until the full light of day. Aren't you glad for light slash life caps, (laughs) resurrection life? Aren't you happy and appreciative of that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to suggest to you that in Jesus' journey with you, as you're following him and experiencing the light of life, he wants to shine his light and his resurrection life into four areas of your life. I'm not going to elaborate on them extensively. I've mentioned them before, but I want to suggest to you that he is very interested in us experiencing the abundant life, a whole life, a contented life, a fulfilled life every day of our journey with him. And I want to suggest to you that there are four areas. One is intimacy with him. And I want to ask you the question. If we were to think of those four areas as being legs on a chair that you find rest in, how are you doing with intimacy with God? Are you living your life so busy that you don't have time for intimacy with God? Are you welcoming him into your life continually? I hope that the the chair you're resting on in your life has good balance in it. Intimacy with God, service of people. Service of people. The Apostle Paul says, whatever we do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in our work, we are serving people. In our families, we, if we're married, we're serving our spouse. We have children or grandchildren, we are serving those dear little friends. In our extended family, we, we live in service. When we pray, we live in service. This is the thing that is uh, 
a satisfying, fulfilling dynamic. If we are living with reference to all the arrows pointing in in our lives for ourselves, sometimes the self-actualization movement um, tends to this, but we ultimately will find ourselves depressed. But if we are living a life of intimacy with God and service of others, there is huge meaning and happiness and blessing. And then recreation. God has given us all things to richly enjoy. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Not making an idol or a God small g of recreational pursuits. But everybody should have a Yamaha SR400. <laughs> Swimming at the Y. Trips that are enjoyable and fun. Dates with your spouse. And uh, those are the things that are recreation for me. I think about, look forward to, and enjoy recreation in my life. I see them as gifts to exult and rejoice in, in the presence of God. And then the, the fourth leg of the chair we're resting on is physical health. I remember at a world map camp some years ago, one of the speakers said, and I'll never forget, his name was Wayne something. I, I don't even remember his last name. I couldn't find it. I looked it up. I've never seen, you know how there are some sermons even from years ago that you remember certain phrases or concepts? He said, we all ought to live as long, keep ourselves as healthy as we can, to live as long as we can. This business of there's, you're appointed, it's appointed a man once to die, and after that, the judgment, as if God has a day that you're going to die, no matter, and there's nothing you can do about it. I want to explode that myth out of your brain. We don't, we, we ought to live as, as long as we can for King Jesus, to expand his kingdom, to worship him, and to serve him every day of our life. We ought to do the best we can to stay as healthy as we can. I'm not saying that, you know, to make you feel guilty if you're not. I'm just saying, like I myself mentioned earlier, I'm on two diets because one wasn't good enough. So, you know, figure it out. Figure out your life. <laughs> uh, my second talking point here is, so basically there needs to be balance, okay? Uh, if one of these... One of the legs on this stool was half or, or, or twice as long. My whole experience here would not be one of rest. So can I, want me to say it one more time? Intimacy with God, a continual life of meaningful service to others, recreational balance, and physical care. Okay? At the same time, at the same speed? Yeah, that's why I'm trying to make an appeal. I think the Holy Spirit's going to have to lead each of us. Or, you know, talk to Jeremiah Pickerel about that. He, he knows all, he knows the answer to everything I can't answer from the pulpit. <laughs> Two, the pulpit being this chair. It is those that, that follow Jesus to the Mount of Olives, Olives and beyond that get the light of life. We already saw that Jesus says that it is those that follow him that get the light of life. And I want to submit to you that verse 1 of chapter 8, Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives, and he comes back and does his ministry in the temple. But what was he doing at the Mount of Olives? I want to suggest to you that the Mount of Olives 
was a place where there was, a, uh, on that mount, there was orchards of olive trees that produced olive oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Jesus spent time praying and worshiping in the anointing of the Spirit, and that set the, and calibrated his experience of ministry. He didn't do it just for being equipped for a more effective ministry, but he did it for his own, its own, his own self. It's worthy. That intimacy with God is so worthy. And I want to suggest to you that times here on Sunday morning where you get refreshed in the Holy Spirit, times in your enjoying fellowship group, those of you that are involved in one, um, you get refreshed in the Holy Spirit. And in our times, in our lives, that I, want to, I want to encourage us and suggest to you that times uh, putting on some worship music can be moments of Mount of Olive dynamic for you and the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And out of that, live from His presence. So we're not just living from high point to high point to high point, but that the most mundane seemingly experiences in life are filled with meaning because we are responding to the Holy Spirit. One quick example is that my, my Brenda Joy, I call her Brenda, you're Brenda. Um, sometimes in the early morning when I go in the kitchen to make coffee, I, I turn on our fluorescent light that's above our window. And I, I just leave it on. And Brenda suggests, you know, that probably is blinding the neighbors when they look this direction or might even, there's a neighbor's house right nearby. And she said, it'd probably be a good idea if we didn't have that light on very long when it's still dark. Now, you guys might think, that isn't even worthy of a sermon. Why are you sharing that? That's so mundane. It's pitiful. Is that the best illustration you come in? Well, how spiritual are you, Pastor Dan? <laughs> but you know what? I find myself constantly blessing my neighbors in Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit nudges me that sharing his love can be in tiny little acts of kindness that they don't even know I'm doing for them. And that's the kind of thing. Through the course of our whole life, we can have those kinds of experiences and joys. But it's about following Jesus not just to the Mount of Olives, but beyond. Remember what Jesus said to Matthew, the IRS worker? Follow me. Matthew followed him. Remember at the end of John's gospel, when Peter says, well, what about this, this guy? Referring to John. And because John was following, Jesus went off to talk to Peter about some personal stuff. And John John. Followed. He was ready to. He want, He was ready to get his turn to have some personal time with Jesus too. And uh, says John followed, and 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 Jesus said to Peter, "Well, if he if he hangs around until I come back, what's that to you?" And from that point on, people thought that Jesus was going to come back before the Apostle Paul, pa- Apostle John, passed away. In fact, John did live into his nineties. And he followed Jesus every day of that time. He ministered 30 years in Jerusalem and 30 years in Ephesus. And uh, however many years on the island of Patmos, he got that revelation from Jesus there. And he heard the voice behind him. And he turned and it was Jesus. 
And for I've heard preachers say, I probably have said it myself, that it had been 60 years since he heard that voice, but you know what? It hadn't. It had probably been 60 seconds. Because John lived with reference to the Spirit of Jesus. And I want to suggest to you that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus himself. And he is the same, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in the course of your life journey, he will lead you as you step into culture. Jesus stepped right into the temple off the mount. And he immediately found himself ministering in love to Pharisees and scribes and a a woman that had a need and ongoing. God will, if you and I are open for business in the Holy Spirit, Jesus will give us all kinds of business. And it's a beautiful business. I conclude by sharing that on October 31st, my goodness, that's today. It's a very important holiday. It's Reformation Sunday. It's the day... Church history tells us that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the Wittenberg Chapel door, inviting all comers to debate him with regard to are we saved by giving money to release people from purgatory and ourselves from purgatory? As the monk Tetzel declared, as soon as a coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Or are we saved by faith alone through grace alone? Exploded into revival that has changed the course of Western culture for the good, and you and me included. We're all Lutherans in terms of that dynamic. So this is a great day to say hooray. Look ourselves in the mirror and smile and laugh and say you're righteousified by grace alone through faith alone. You have reason to be happy. Let's stand up right now. I invite you at home or watching on TV to start your journey with Jesus. Start following him. He is for you. He loves you. The Bible says three different times, whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. If you're watching this and you're not sure you're saved, simply call on him, respond to him. He'll flood your life with supernatural joy and peace and love. Be sure you tell someone that you respect, a Christian friend that you respect what you've done. They will help disciple you into ever-increasing levels of supernatural joy in Jesus. Put your hand on your heart right now, friends. We praise you, God. We praise you that you're our light in life and you guide us and bless us. Jesus, we, you have rocked our worlds and we're never going back. Amen and amen. Let's worship him one more time before we go today.
You know that Jesus is undone by, his lo- by your love for him too? That's the kind of relationship you have with him. Isn't it beautiful? Remember, he loves you. We love you. Have a great day. Thessalonians 3.3 But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah
mountain you won't climb, I'm coming after me. Snowwall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me.
Stop. 
You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel, Lord, to give up I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Taking my sin. Across my shame, rising again. I bless Your name. You are my all in all. When I fall down, You pick me up. When I am dry, You fill my cup. You are my all in all. Jesus. Thank you. 
Switched on.